Father in heaven, we thank thee for your loving kindness, for your grace and mercy in bestowing upon us this morning a beautiful day, grace and strength to make it here on time despite the traffic and the busyness of this big city. Now, Father, we pray that we would be able to put away all distractions and put away anything that would hinder us from uh, allowing the Word of God to find good ground in our hearts. Be with those that are not with us, the sick, the shut-in, and those that are suffering in different ways. You alone know their each and every need. Bless the Word as it goes forth. Give utterance to the messenger and also give receptive ears and faith to receive it for these things we pray and ask in Jesus name Amen I don't think we'll ever get tired to going back to the gospel of John chapter 3 perhaps one of the most monumental chapters in all of the Bible because it <clears throat> culminates a history of the Word of God in the Old Testament and fulfilled in his son Jesus Christ in the new so John chapter 3 let's uh, begin reading at verse 1 there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these things that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, he must be born again. The wind bloweth where it is, where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but thou canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, and the Son of Man which is in heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him <clears throat> is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because the deeds were evil for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light neither condemneth uh, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved but he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I have read up to and including verse 21. May the Lord bless 
the reading of his word. The Lord's worthy that we bow before him in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, as we have read these words, dear Father, and now we through faith addressed address the one who spoke these words 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man who is now seated on thy right hand in glory. Our hearts are full. We cannot even form the proper words with which to say because we realize those of us that have believed, that have been born again, what an unspeakable gift this is, the gift of Jesus Christ that God gave, that whosoever believes would not perish, but would have everlasting life here and now and stretching into eternity. Dear Father in heaven, we've met this morning to worship thee, first and foremost the only true God, the only one who deserves to be worshipped, the one who will not share his glory with anyone else because he is unique and there is none and nothing like him. Dear Father, we are so thankful that we can worship thee through Jesus Christ and that these things have now been made clear and plain. Thy character has been revealed. Thou hast given thyself to us. What an amazing gift. What unspeakable glory. Dear Father in heaven, as we now meditate on these words, as we would like to take them in, as, as we pray that word would go out, we pray that thy Holy Spirit, thy perfect Holy Spirit, who resides in the hearts of those who believe on thee, who can come and dwell, who can cleanse through the blood of Jesus Christ, Dear Father, we pray that he would have his work this hour too. That this hour would be one of listening, of submitting, not making excuses, of not listening to the distractions that Satan is more than ready to throw up. He's just waiting to, he is here too. He, is, he, he wants to dissuade and, and to put doubts in minds and make explanations, but dear Father, even Satan can't explain. He cannot. He, he has nothing to combat this new birth, this heavenly mystery that is now revealed in Jesus Christ. The natural man can't receive it. We can't understand it with our human minds, dear Father, but as we come as simple children, as we take this word, as we believe it, as we let go of all the things that, that are of this earth that are prideful, that are, are sinful, the things that are of the old man, that new man can be formed. What a glorious thing it is, dear Father. What a praise and an honor to thee that thou canst redeem a fallen creation, uh, a mankind that is, was dead in trespasses and sins, that was wallowing in, in their own filth. And then through the blood of Jesus, through a life that was laid down, a perfect sinless life, we can be restored. What a glorious gospel. Dear Father, we pray this day, this Lord's day, that message would go out. It's desperately needed. We look at the world around us. It's getting darker. Uh, there is more confusion. There is more burden of, of sin than ever before, it seems. It's growing rampant. The end is coming. The hardness that was spoken of in thy word is becoming more and more apparent. The hearts are growing cold, dear Father. The gospel is now desperately needed more than ever. Men and women that have experienced this new birth and, and ought to live it out, dear Father, they are needed too at this moment, this time in history. Dear Father, we pray that this would be a day where those hands would be strengthened, where the, 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 the weariness would be washed away, the, the powerful word that, the, that can cleanse, that can make new, that can set a right that it would have its effect today in every corner, dear Father, it would go out. It is thy means of salvation. And we are amazed at that, that through the foolishness, the weakness of mankind, the foolishness of preaching, the power of God can be displayed even this morning hour. Dear Father, strengthen the hands of the brother to do that. Make his thoughts clear and his, his mouth open to speak thy word. Dear Father, we pray for those that 
cannot hear that word physically today, that, that cannot be seated under it uh, in, in, with a gathering and other, with other believers. Strengthen them too, dear Father. Give them the assurance, those that believe on thee and trust on thee, that they are not forgotten, that the Holy Spirit is with them too, and he can give them power to overcome, to persevere to the end. We pray for the sick. Pray for those that are going through difficult times in their bodies and in their minds maybe. In our own congregation, we know there are many that have these needs, many that have been brought to thee. And dear Father, we bring them to thee now. We pray for healing. We pray for grace to be poured out. As, as we sang this morning already, that the, the healing power of the gospel would reach them physically and also, more importantly, spiritually. They would be uh, complete in thee. Dear Father, lastly, we pray for the government of this land, the government of Canada, the provincial government, the federal government, the, the local governments, those that are in positions of authority. Um, we have a democratic country, and, and they are put in those positions by elections, by choices of people. But, dear Father, we know at all times and in all places, Thou art the authority. Thou puttest up and settest down, and everything is in Thy hands. And anyone who thinks otherwise is fooling themselves and is actually a tool of Satan. Dear Father, help them to realize that thou art the one, the authority, who one day will ultimately rule in that perfect kingdom. And all will have to acknowledge thy rule is just and perfect. Oh, how blessed those are here and now to realize that rule, to come under it, to submit themselves to it, to experience the the joy and the pleasure of being a, a lamb of the shepherd, a subject of the king. Dear Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and in the confidence that thou wilt do them according to thy perfect and holy will. Amen. The Gospel of John, the one that was probably the closest to Jesus, the one that layered the Last Supper with him on his breast, the one that lived the longest and met Jesus again in his vision, visions on the Isle of Patmos and received even greater revelation. The Apostle of Love, the one that talked about the love of God. And you can go into his letters, epistles, to see far more of that and how important it is that we love God and our brother. In these chapters in verse in chapter 3 and chapter 4 we see that Jesus becomes very close and personal to two individuals Nicodemus the Pharisee the ruler of Israel and then a woman from Samaria who didn't have quite the credentials and qualifications and um, as someone said, religiosity, perhaps. What we see here in chapter 3 is an encounter by this man called Nicodemus at night. And there are different speculations as to why he came at night. Because he didn't want to be seen or, or he wanted to have a longer conversation with Christ. Maybe because he'd be busy during the day. I'm not going to really speculate. But it is sure that if the Sanhedrin found out that he was talking to them, he'd be questioned. Why were you there? What were you talking about? Um, it's very peculiar how this ruler comes to Jesus and calls him rabbi, teacher, 
when Nicodemus himself was a Pharisee, uh, a, what is called a separated one. There was something like 6,000 Pharisees at the time of Christ. And many of them were on the, um, the council, the, the Sanhedrin, the 70 plus one, there's different numbers of the, how many were on that council. And um, he comes to Jesus because he sees something in Jesus that is different than all other rabbis that he's come across. He sees how people are coming to him, perhaps. How they're flocking to him for counsel, for understanding of the scriptures, to be healed. And all of this information is going into his mind and he's trying to process it. And now, because it appears that Nicodemus is a truth lover, he wants to know more. That he came to Jesus. And he said, we know you're a, a teacher come from God. Because no man can do the things that you do except God be with him. Now Jesus, as you'll find out in, in the next chapter too, is a very patient teacher. He's a very meek teacher. As we read in, in, um, in the following verses, that God sent his son not into the world to condemn it. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The, con the world is condemned already. He says that in the next verse. He came to save the world. And so his attitude was not judgmental. They jumped straight to their negative points, their sins, and, and, and pointed them out. But rather, to show them where they can find the remedy for sin. Where they can find the remedy for their soul. So when Nicodemus starts this conversation... He addresses the man, Jesus. You're a man come from God. You're a teacher come from God. He probably didn't understand the full extent of who Christ was, that he was God in the flesh. But he had a power. He had the words, the wisdom that needed to be further investigated. And that's exactly what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew chapter 7, Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Seek and ye shall find, ask and it shall be given to you. And that's exactly what Nicodemus was doing. No man can do these miracles except God be with him. But Jesus turns the focus off himself and he says to him, truly, truly, when, when verily, verily is said twice, it's emphatic. Listen, pay attention. I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Because he knows that Nicodemus wanted to enter the kingdom of God. That's, he knew that's, that's, that was his goal because he wanted to do everything right. To tithe, to give one-tenth of everything. Annas and Cummin. To not work on the Sabbath. To, to be careful what he eats. All these rules that the Jews had. And the Old Testament says they had this, these laws to distinguish them from the Gentiles, from the heathen. To make a clean barrier distinction between the heathen. And Jesus says you cannot enter this kingdom. You're looking for God and you want to know how to get there. You know... Every religion has a God or a supreme being that you have to do something to get there. You've got to do your works. You've got to do your religion. You've got to do your practices. You've got to be morally good in order to find God. The difference between every other religion is not the only one. And Christianity is that you don't have to find God by trying to do things to, to get him. God came down looking for us. He didn't come to condemn the world. 
God came down. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul, the songwriter says. That's the, one of the main differences between us and every other religion, the Christian religion. That is that God came down. God made flesh. God with us, Emmanuel. And this is what exactly Nicodemus experienced. He experienced something about this man that was godly. And he says, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now this may have, when you see the, the pursuing conversation, you think, Jesus is trying to say, you should know this by now, Nicodemus. I'm, I'm a little bit quizzical. There are hints in the Old Testament of it. If you look into, into, into the, um, the book of Ezekiel, let me just um, open there to the book of Ezekiel, because he knew the law, Ezekiel chapter 36. This is what Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 24 and on says, for I will take you, he's talking about the, uh, the Jews, I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries, because they were scattered, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And then he says, a new heart will I give you. And a new spirit will I put in within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And you can see some of these scriptures were already quoted in the New Testament writers. Because they were referring to the Old Testament saying it was there. But as Peter says, these things were, that, were not that clear. Angels wanted to delve into these things, to look into these things. And it was not given to them. But he said, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put a new spirit within you. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I shall be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. And I will call you for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon it. Now he's going into perhaps further on into the restoration um, and we'll maybe get into that a bit later on. But, but you can see that Nicodemus never heard of this term born again. Born again. You know, if many of you may remember Jimmy Carter, the Christian president of the United States. When he was asked on in an interview, what, you're a Christian? Yes, you are. What are you? I'm a born again Christian. And that became... The front page, that Jimmy Carter was a born-again Christian. And then he became a very popular thing to, to be called a born-again Christian. But many people use that term today for different things. When they say, when, they're, when they're, their career has revived, they say, I've been born again. Or when they come out of depression or, or they find a, a new wife, I've been born again. Misusing exact, ex, exactly what that word or that phrase is as Christ meant it to be. So Jesus says, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. And then he says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. In order to see the kingdom of God, we need to be born again. If you go into the book of uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 1, this is what the, frankly, I cannot recall that Paul said born again, but he spoke about it, the regeneration, the, the, the being quickened in Ephesians chapter 2. Ye who were once dead in trespasses and sins, you have he quickened by the Holy Spirit. But in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, he says here, verse 18, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, 
that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is. So, in, in, in one way, when Jesus says you cannot see the kingdom of God without being born again, he said, you can't, your eyes haven't been enlightened that you can even see the things of God. Last, I think it was last week or the week before we heard how it hasn't entered even into the mind of us. The things which God has prepared for them that love him because they are spiritually discerned. And if you talk about born again to anyone on the street, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. This religious man, Nicodemus, needed to know you've been trying all your life. You've been putting all this effort in. You've been, you've been uh, uh, a member of this belonging to this, um, this Sanhedrin, this council of Israel. Judging Israel, the highest power, if you will, of authority in the nation of Israel. But I'm telling you, you haven't attained. You haven't been born again. You cannot see, you cannot understand the things of the kingdom. They are spiritually discerned until you are born again. The problem with someone saying, I'm going to become a Christian five minutes before I die, it's just not a... a uh, an act of the will that will get you there. It's not something that you can academically state in your mind and say, I, I agree with that, I accept Jesus. Question is, does he accept you? Question is, are you prepared to enter that kingdom? If you're not born again, you're not prepared. And being baptized alone will not get you there. You know, Jesus said in the book of Matthew, uh, Mark, and when he gave the Great Commission in Matthew, in Mark he says, Go preach the gospel to all nations. Whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. And he said, Whoever believes not shall be damned. He didn't say, but is not baptized. Also, it's a moot point. Baptism means nothing unless you believe. Unless you commit your life to the, the, the rabbi that, that Nicodemus wanted to, to look into. And eventually he did. It ended a, 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 it seems a, a, a very beautiful story in the end. When he took the body of Christ with Joseph of Arimathea. And he, he prepared him for his burial in his own grave that Joseph had prepared for it. But here Nicodemus not knowing, not understanding what Jesus said. He said, how can that be? A man, can he enter his mother's womb for the second time and be born? Jesus said the second time, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the second, uh, into the kingdom. This, this verse has puzzled me over many years because we normally do not think that being dipped into a, a tub or into a river will regenerate somebody. That's what you call baptismal regeneration. I'm not taking it away that this is maybe part of what Jesus was trying to say, but I think it's far more than that. It is far more than a sacrament where you get wet. If you go back to the book of, of, of Ezekiel, you will see he talks about, I will sprinkle you with water. The, the water itself was symbolic of God's spirit being um, sanctifying, being enlivening, quickening. If you go to chapter 7 of John, he says, if any man believes in me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And maybe the water is, the baptismal water is symbolic of all of that. But we know that a man that is just baptized, as, as many practice, and that's where infant baptism started, because they feel that if they baptized a baby before it died, it would be saved. That's where infant baptism came. They didn't want to, and that's why apparently, uh, according to some, they believe that 
when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, or else what shall we say for them that are baptized for the dead? You know, we know that there is a religious organization in, in America today that actually baptize for those that have already died and yet may have been in a sin still because they never got baptized. It is more than a figure or a symbol. Baptism is an act of faith where one is identifies with Jesus Christ, public profession. When, when Ro, Romans 10 says, for with, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and with the heart man believes unto righteousness, the confession is not the confession of sin here, although we confess our sins. But he says, confessing what? In front of the world. In front of the whole world that I now identify with Jesus Christ. He is now my bridegroom, much like a wedding ceremony. Where the couple comes up and they identify with each other. I take this one to, to the, uh, what is, to the um, whatever, of all others. Rejecting all others, I dedicate my life and commit my life to my spouse now. But that is a confession of faith. But that confession without true faith in the heart is void. means nothing unless you're committed to your spouse or your partner. So we see here that this baptism... When we say who by water and the spirit must truly be born again, we do practice baptism. We practice full immersion because that's what baptizo means in the Greek. It means to be fully immersed. And they kept that Greek word and anglicized it so they wouldn't lose its distinctive meaning over time. And Jesus says, look, if you're not born again by water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Some, some people say, well, you, uh, you know, some people are going to go to the pearly gates and be rejected there. Jesus says, you won't even see it. Secondly, you won't even enter unless you are born again. Now, we have a parallel passage in the book of, um, in the book of Peter. Let me just read that. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days uh, times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. <clears throat> See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. And how can you do that? How can you do that? Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Jesus said, if you're born again of water and spirit. Peter says, a disciple of Jesus, one of the inner three, says, you are born again by the word of God. Is there a contradiction? No. The means of being born again is the seed. And you can go to Matthew chapter 13. When the seed lands on good ground, it brings forth much fruit. When the seed falls on the good ground, it brings forth much fruit. God sows his seed. He says into, to the Corinthians, Paul says, God chose by the foolishness of preaching 
to save those that believe. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is this, this powerful combination of the word of God and the Holy Spirit. When they penetrate your heart and you are a truth seeker, you want the truth. You're seeking the truth not to say why I shouldn't believe, but because why I should believe. This powerful combination of the word of God, which begins that process of conversion, of salvation. Now, with, with man lies a responsibility. There, there are some that say, no, God does everything. God gives you faith. God makes you change to will. God gives you these Holy Spirit. Man has to do nothing because God has already chosen you to be saved. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you have the faith, that means you are doing something to contribute to your salvation. That's what some say, which is totally false. Your faith and my faith is not a work that merits salvation. Your faith and my faith in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection, as Peter did, uh, uh, just outlined, is, is a condition. Is a condition that God will give to us his Holy Spirit and his quickening power to make us alive. He will give us the understanding of the word that falls. He will transform our mind. You know, being born again is not going into some kind of a spiritual trance. Oh, God has now given me this, this Holy Spirit. I've gone into this spiritual trance now, and now my God is animating my hands, and he's for forcing me to do this. And force. That is not what being born again means. If you go back to Ephesians 1, he says, God has enlightened you. He has given you light to think differently. He has given you appetites to crave for and to want to have. Not the dead works wherein they had no fruit, Paul says in Romans 6. But you've been delivered from the dead works. Your appetites are now towards God. Everything else should be obnoxious. And, and just like those that have gone on a, and I don't, I don't want to compare the two, but something we might be able to understand. If we know that if we're eating a certain food that is carcinogenic, every time we see that food and we care about our health, we will, we will reject that. Or if it causes my teeth to rot, or if it causes uh, diabetes, or if it causes any illness upon me, we will, it will be repugnant to us. If we care about our health, What about if you care about your spiritual health? How will you follow the word of God? How will you take the word of God? Everything from the past changes. The way you used to think about God and the way you used to think about yourself changes. When you thought God either did not exist or you thought God was a cosmic killjoy or you think, why did God forbid me from having this? Or why did God give me mother and father like this? When you become a born-again believer, your mind changes. Your heart changes because you see things now through spiritual lenses, through spiritual eyes. And that's what the power of God can do for those that, yes, allow him to. Oh, that's a work of man. No. It's man's responsibility, but God empowers you to do that. The more you read, the more you understand, the more you pray, the more you experience, the more you see what God is saying is true, and you buy into that. You accept that. You receive that. That's what Jesus said when he says, if any man eat my body and drink my blood, he's got eternal life. means you take him in, you receive him, you ingest him.
So Nicodemus hears all this and he still doesn't understand. And Jesus says, look, you see the wind, it's blowing. Sorry, you don't see the wind. You feel the wind. The wind can do all kinds of things. The winds have got a lot of power. You can see what it does. So is he that is born of the Spirit. You may not see the Spirit, but you see the change that is occurring in your life. You can see that, as, as the brother prayed, of the, the decadence of this world, the depravity is getting worse and worse. And you know what? The more you fight it, and the more you reject it, God, in his word, says he's going to one day send you a spirit of delusion to believe that very lie. He'll condemn you. He'll confirm you in your unbelief. Because unbelief is always looking for reasons why not to believe. Not why to believe. Why not to believe. You know, there are many in this world that are like Nicodemus. There are many in this world are like the Samaritan woman. As mentioned earlier, when we believe in Jesus Christ and we get baptized, we become a part of his family. We take on a new identity. Our identity is no longer who I am in this world. My, my identity is not how much money I have, that I'm a rich man. Everybody knows the rich man. So they go to him, hoping to get some of his riches. Or my identity is in another person. Look at the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman, for years, was living with five husbands. You know, I used to think, he's just probably being euphemistic, that she had five partners. No, he said five husbands. You had five husbands, but the one you have now is not your husband. What was she trying to do? What was Jesus trying to teach her in a very intimate moment with her? In a very patient way, what was he trying to say? Dear woman, you've been trying to find an identity in an, another man. He's your support. He's your rock. He is your provider. He, is, he provides things for you, other things apart from bread and, and water and you know what you're not happy because you've had five of them and you failed every single one and you're not happy I know you're not happy I've told you I'm going to give you living water you'll never have to thirst again she didn't get it she didn't get it just like Nicodemus didn't get it. Because they, they were thinking on a different plane. But Jesus was very patient in trying to get them to where he really wants to get them. Like the prodigal son, to the point where he came to himself. When he dug deep down, when he took this rock bottom experience for him to really come down and say, what is it that I really want in life? It is said that in our culture today, in traditional culture, your identity was found in your family, in your church, in your community, in your clan. You know, you were expected to take on and carry the torch like your forefathers had it before. You become a, an adult, you become married, you become a good husband, you have children, and you pass that on to your... So you're, in doing so, in all your efforts, in all your um, uh, work that you do that, and if you carried it out well, you have not only the, the fulfilled your, your identity, but you've also received the, the, the praise of your peers, of your family, of your, of your community. And, and that's why many go down this other way today when they want to please someone, they want to find approval, they want to find acceptance in a group, in a, in a movement, in a person. But guess what? 
That's building your life on a false foundation. You come crashing down one day. I once um, heard this example of a woman that lived in a caravan park. In her mind, way back when, when she was younger, her identity was her beauty. And guess what? She was targeted because of her beauty. Every man wanted her. And so she fell for it because she found love, she found uh, uh, acceptance, she found protection, she found a community. And then he went sour because the one that she was with, whatever it was, she turned to drugs, alcohol, whatever it was. She was in jail. And then she, she's found in a caravan park. And someone comes up to her and says, look, her counselor, right? You know what you need to do? You need to go back to school. You need to get an education. You need to get a good profession and make your living and then you become somebody and something. And people are going to be very uh, impressed with you. You'll be popular. And this woman says, hang on a sec, let, let me get this straight. I, I spent all my life thinking that my beauty is going to get me places that people are going to like me they're going to want to be with me they're going to accept me they're going to prove me and I ended up like this now you want to you're saying you want me to leave this particular path in life and you want to take me to take this other path in life a successful career and that's going to bring me happiness what happened is that falls through what happens if I fail then? Then what? Go to the next thing? You know, it took, if you will, out of the mouth of babes to, treat, to teach this counsellor what her best option in life is now. Her identity is in something else now. My dear friend, what is your identity in today? What do you identify with? Do you look to, oh, once I finish my college, I'm going to get a good job, I'm going to get a car, I'm going to find a, a wife, she's going to want to marry me because I'm good looking and i got a house and i got a car. Just look on, I'm not saying you look on, don't look in Hollywood. But you know what I mean. All these glamorous stars with money, with power, with fame, with with profession and the breakups are a dime a dozen it doesn't get what they're really looking for deep down inside and that's what Jesus is trying to tell the Samaritan woman that's what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus look deeper look and see that man cannot have anything outside of God they will not have an identity unless it's in the Son of God. Because He will never let you down. He only gives you things that are good, wholesome, and in the end, to li in, the, in, in the life to come, eternal life. That's what He said to, G to, to Peter, right? He said, Lord, what's going to happen to us? We've forsaken all, we've left everything behind. And Jesus said, Whoever leaves father, mother, sister, or brother, for my sake, shall in this life have more houses and lands and mothers and fathers and so forth, and in the world to come, eternal life. Where is your identity? Who do you identify with? Who do you want to be considered a part of? Which community? Is it the body of Jesus Christ? Or is it the dreams that you're following? Because that's, that's what the modern paradigm is. The modern uh, uh, philosophy is concerning now the identity. You don't follow a community. You don't follow this. You don't follow. You follow your own heart. Look inside of you. Look inside of you. Follow it. 
Really? That paradigm is as old as the hills. The prodigal son did exactly that. He followed what was in his heart. Look where it got him. Because you've got to follow something that is way above you, that is, is praiseworthy, that, is, that is, has the ability to, to give you the right advice, the right path in life. And that's what he was telling Nicodemus. That's what he was telling the Samaritan woman. Every other, every other religion, every other culture, every other paradigm has a false flaw. But when you come to Jesus Christ and he says, get born again, and I'm going to show you how to do that, then we can feel not good because of what we have done, but what he has done what he has done for us. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He gave his life. And in the world to come, he'll give us eternal life. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. How can these things be? Said Nicodemus. And I'm sure you who are outside of Jesus Christ are asking that same thing this morning hour. How can this be? How can this new birth be? That was the question I asked myself for many years. I grew up in church and heard that word and it wasn't happening in me. New birth was not happening. How can this be? You know, the answer is right here too. And it's an answer that my five-year-old and my three-year-old and my two-year-old have learned to recite. The answer for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The answer is love. This happens by love, by God's love towards us and by our love in return as we realize how much he's done for us. That's how the new birth begins and starts. And that's what you're missing, my friend outside of Christ. You're missing that love by not acknowledging, by not accepting, by not believing Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, you're turning away from God's love. And it'll be a dark, cold existence. The other passage that came to me that reinforces this in 1 Peter 1, we read from, we didn't, the, we didn't read from this portion, but just listen to it. Where Peter says, to the believers whom having not seen, talking about Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. When you realize that you have been saved through Jesus Christ and the love that he's poured out on you and you respond in that same way, that's the beginning of the new birth the life that is in Christ. That's my prayer, that's all our prayer. For those that have experienced it, that you would experience that love, you'd be transformed and changed by it so that we could, you could truly say as we concluded, that in me men may see, not in my behavior, but thy love, O Savior. That new birth by his love poured out in our hearts. May that be the, the word that goes with us. We conclude the service now.